The Courage to Lead, Episode 60. You're listening to the IB4E Coaching Podcast. Brought to you by IB4E Coaching, business coaching for executives, entrepreneurs, and small business professionals. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com. Hey, Coach Harlan here. Welcome back to the podcast. Hope you, hope you guys are having a, a great week. I'm having a great week because I get to do fun stuff like this. I get to introduce you to great people and uh, interview them for the podcast. So please welcome my guest, TJ Duncan. TJ is founder of Business Glue, an improvement specialist that is passionate about helping others. TJ works with businesses that appreciate the benefits of having someone with the knowledge and skill set she has to take the bird's eye view of their business and recognize barriers and opportunities that leaders, owners, and senior teams don't have the time to experience to see. She provides passionate, caring, ambitious business leaders that spend their time in the business to help, guidance, and hands-on approach to lead them to success whilst improving the broken areas of the business. She sees what others don't, the fragmented teams, the disjointed management style, or the loosely termed processes that are costing you time and money. Also using her contacts, experience, and know-how of identifying and taking advantage of the opportunities available that are often vague. TJ has demonstrated results with her credible portfolio of business solutions, understanding from experience, the sense of feeling powerless, but more importantly, how to get rid of these thoughts. TJ establishes that bond, allowing you to enjoy your business again and not feel a burden with the vicious circle scenario. She wants you to feel as hungry for success as you did at the beginning and as excited with what opportunities are available, making them possible. TJ experienced the emotional drain and lack of motivation for those most accountable, and this is why she does what she does. Sharing ways to beat negativity, proving it isn't healthy or necessary to feel this way, making those in the business the heroes. As a married mom of two, TJ divides her spare time between her family and tending to her collection of animals that all live at home with her. Having owned horses and ponies since the age of nine, she's a keen equestrian and now enjoys retraining her two racehorses, to be ex-racehorses, to become happy hackers for her and her daughters to enjoy on countryside rides. TJ won an award for Businesswoman of the Year in 2016, which was an immense achievement. And then in 2021, TJ was nominated for an MBE, Member of the Most Excellent Order of the British Empire, for female entrepreneurship. TJ, welcome to the show. Hi. That is awesome. MBE. <laughs> I feel like I'm in, in the midst of royalty. This is great. So no, how, many animals, how many animals do you have? Um, two sheep, two horses, two dogs, and a duck. <laughs> and a duck. <laughs> we had two, but I'm afraid the fox took one. Oh, darn foxes. They get you every yeah. time. Awesome. Well, hey, I want to come back and talk about all of this. Uh, the equestrian, talk about how you got started in your business and business glue um, and the MBE, if you don't mind. And we'll talk yeah. about all that, okay? But before we get started, I have 10 questions. These are questions that I ask every one of my guests. Uh, these were made popular on the television show Inside the Actor Studio, where host James Lipton asked these same questions of his uh, Hollywood guests. And I figured if they're good enough for the Hollywood elite, they're certainly good enough for my guests. So TJ, if you don't mind... I have 10 questions for you. Question number one, what is your favorite word? Passionate. Passionate. 
What is your least favorite word? Nice. <laughs> what turns you on? Um, exciting situations that give you the fire in the belly. Nice. And what turns you off? Um, lack of hygiene. <laughs> <laughs> There's a story there. I know there's a story. <laughs> um, what sound or noise do you love? Um, I like music in general. Just in general, no certain. Yeah, no, nothing specific. Okay. What sound or noise do you hate? Humming. <laughs> DJ, what is your favorite curse word? Um, it rhymes with hit. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, what profession other than your own would you like to attempt? Hmm. Social services, I feel. Okay. And what profession would you not like to do? Teacher. Awesome. Okay. And final question, TJ, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? Welcome. We've been waiting. Good job. We've been waiting. All right. And I've been waiting to do this interview with you. I'm look, really looking forward to it. So uh, we'll be back to talk again about how you got started, how you started Business Glue, um, and kind of where you're going from there. All right. So we'll okay. talk about all of that and more right after this. So stick with us. Imagine having a trusted group of CEOs at your disposal. Imagine having your very own peer advisory team who could work you through the problems and questions in your business before you had to make those difficult decisions. Imagine you had a group of advisors that had your back and met for the sole purpose of making you successful in your business. What would you be able to accomplish then? Well, you don't have to imagine anymore. You can have that and more when you join my Business Success Mastermind Group. Join my Business Success Mastermind Group today. Learn more at ib4e-coaching.com forward slash mastermind. And I'm back with my guest, <laughs> TJ Duncan. TJ, welcome again to the show. Thanks so much for agreeing to be um, on the podcast. So Business Glue, you do accounting type things. Is that kind of where you got started? Um, no, it's an overview of everything. Um, okay. I can undertake the financial side of it. I don't enjoy that, yeah. but I will do whatever needs to get the businesses on track, really. Okay. So it's a review of the whole of the business. Not the just whole. Okay. So where did you get started? I mean, is this something you thought of doing when you were a kid or were you on a different path? No, not at all. Um yeah. I started in a family business and well, the, the family business started when I was 18 months old. Okay. Um, and all the way through school, I was adamant that I was not going to work for a family business. And I did rebel and I did hairdressing first. Okay. First love. I did hairdressing for a few years first. Um, because you work six days a week in hairdressing, you do have one day off during the week, which regular people in offices and things don't. So I used to go and help out in the family business on those days. Okay. 
fortunately at school, I did do my business and finance and understood typing and word processes and things. And that sort of fit in. Yeah. So your understanding of the family business, is that what kind of gave you the foundation for what you're doing now? Yeah. Nice. So what gave you the idea for business glue? Um, My past really, I've done 30 years, came out of the family business and it was, what do I do now? And I, I, I felt that I'd done so much and it was about fitting it into a niche and there really wasn't a niche because I undertook the HR, the finances. I'd been in, um, helping out in the engineering. I'd been on site. I'd done the installing. You know, I'd done the manual manufacturing. So it was purchasing and payroll. But to tell somebody that they were becoming, didn't know what I wanted, you know, what it was that I did. So the easiest way is saying that I did it as an overview and, and I can undertake it all. I don't do it all. I identify what gaps there are in the business. And I just felt that yeah. with my experience, yeah, that helped businesses so much. Sure. No, I think that's important because a lot of times the business owners can't see everything from those perspectives, right? They no. don't really know even what to look for sometimes, right? No. And they're too busy with the day-to-day jobs. Yeah. Yeah. So what was the family business? Construction? It was manufacturing and construction. Okay. Very cool. So, yeah, you got a little of everything. Supply chain and... Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I everything. for a while. You know, I, I sort of went through the whole of the business, really. Wow. Thankfully, because that's given me the roots for what I've got now. Absolutely. Yeah. So, after 30 years of the business, you just decided one day, I want to do this on my own? I saw that as a... Particularly as a woman... Um, there was a glass ceiling that wasn't going to be broken. I was held back. Um, Even in the family business? Yeah, very mm. much in the family business. Um, I was held back by others. Um, my values definitely weren't valued. Yeah. Um, um, quite derogatory towards the end. So I just felt that I needed to go alone. Yeah. And so what's behind the name of Business Glue? Um, when I decided I was going to set up this business, I sat with a creative designer because obviously I needed a logo. Sat in Starbucks and did a bit of a brainstorming. And it's a guy that I've known for 20 years. He's a great friend as well. And he said, we've got to come up with a, a name. And the suggestions that people gave me was, you need a TJ. TJ, and it was all about TJ. And I said, well, ever there are quite a few now that know me. And TJ does stand out. It's a little bit different. Not everybody will understand what TJ is. And it just becomes another initialed name for a business. So he says, okay, let's get, what do you do? And I said, well, I'm sort of the jigsaw, but I don't like jigsaw because it makes it look like a charity, that sort of scenario. And he says, well, how can we say what you do? And I said, I just sort of pull it all together. I bond, bond what gaps are in the business. I stick it together. And he says, what? what and I said well I just glue it all together and he says that's it business glue and I said well I can't just be glue I have to do something different so let's take the drop the e off of it and I'm happy with business glue nice okay then no, strong, I think it's great you know a strong bond between you and your business excellent perfect and it's a great icebreaker because people want to know the story behind it absolutely so what type of clients are you working with right now um 
my avatar client, my perfect client, are ambitious business women. Um, purely because that's obviously up my heart. Because sure. I had to work within a male-oriented business throughout my career, and I've seen the struggles. It's not as much of a struggle these days. But I want to promote with women that if you want to be not treated any different, don't be different. You know, I'm a big believer in don't expect the door to be open for you. You know, you you know, I'm quite happy to go on site and put a site helmet on and some safety boots, but don't expect any different treatment unless you want to put yourself there. So I'm really passionate about women in business but not making it about women. It's just fitting in and being one of them. Absolutely. Yeah. You can't have it both ways. I mean, you no. can, a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of women do, but yeah. it's, it's difficult, I think. Mm-hmm. And um, I feel that those women give us a bad name. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so what type of challenges um, are you seeing in some of the businesses? At the moment, obviously it's COVID. Yeah. Um, everybody, what I'm seeing is, with regards to me, is people are quite happy at the moment or accepting of just paying the bills, just paying the wages, nothing in front of them. And I think they're just waiting for somebody within the world to tell them that something's going to change. Yeah. Everybody seems to be sat on the fence at the moment, I feel. I don't know what they're expecting, but you know that's sort of where they are. They're very guarded and happy. Yeah. My favorite word is bumbling along. Yeah. And you're over in the UK, but I, I imagine it's similar to what's going on here in the US. People weren't really prepared. No. They didn't have the cash reserve set aside to help them through the challenge. So they're waiting for the dust to settle before mm-hmm. they stick their neck back out. Yeah. Right. I mean, I can lay some good odds on that nobody had a pandemic in their business plan. No. <laughs> No, a lot of them do. I mean, you can't plan for a specific, like a pandemic, but I think businesses should have some kind of reserve set aside, you know, three to six months cash reserves for operating expenses just to keep their head above water. Right. And a lot of them didn't, they had nothing and they woke up one morning and had no idea what to do. Yeah. And a lot of them had, had jumped on the credit chain and, you know, every acceptance of everybody takes credit these days. Everybody sort of lives on the never, never. It's okay. Yeah. That's been crashing around them now, and they don't know how to deal with it. Yeah. So when you go into work with a company, what do you do first? Do you start off with a, an assessment? Yeah. What we call a fact finding day is okay. diving deep into the business, brainstorming, pulling that things out of it that they don't realize either. You know, I'll sort of question them, let them talk. Um, the things that they're coming out that can lead to other things. I'll put a few suggestions in there to sort of get their appetite and see where they could go. Um, so it's, it's really a brainstorming session and just diving deep into the business and seeing where they're at now. Nice. And then from that, you help them put together a plan. Is it yeah. a short-term plan, long-term plan? Short-term to start with, because the people that I'm working with tend to be a little bit nervous of it. And that they're very blinkered into, they can't see that far ahead. But we do quite quickly sort of move them on and see how they can reach their goals short in short term. So then they can look longer term. So then become comfortable with it. Because these businesses that I'm working with, 
they've not really done a lot of change. They've just sort of fallen into things organically. Yeah. Yeah. Some of the businesses I work with over here, they've either taken over the business, family business. So they're running things exactly the way the family did or exactly the way the previous owner did. And a lot of times they don't know that there's other ways to do things. No. And that's my pet hate, that saying in the business, I, I have a swear jar. <laughs> we have a swear pot. And it's when anybody says, that's the way we've always done it. Yeah. I hate it. Absolutely. That is, that is my, yeah. The one sound I hate is when somebody says it's, well, two, two of them. I have two. One is, that's the way we've always done it. The other one is, that's not my job. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, so again, what, what types of things are you, especially in women-owned businesses, do they struggle more in the finance area of the business? Is it um, leadership in the business? Yeah, I, I've found that it's been upper-tier management. Okay. Um, a couple of years ago, I was asked to do some public speaking in a, a business, and it was actually connected with Rolls-Royce, obviously, you know, a big business. Sure. And they were supporting women on Independence Women's Day. And they asked if I would go and talk about my career. And the reason behind it was they recognized that they had got no women in their upper tier management. And all I did is talk about what I'd done, the way that I'd been on site, the way that I'd been with the engineers. You know, I was quite happy putting a hard hat on. On the other respect, you know, I'd worked my way through and gained the knowledge of the leadership and management, the purchasing, the finances that got me to board level, yeah. then how I handled it at board level, because I was the only woman at board level as well. And then of course, when you're doing pre-contracts meetings, majority of them are male. And it, it was quite eye-opening that at the end of when I did my public speaking, the women that sort of came to the side and I'd got a line of people that wanted to talk to me. And the feedback that I got from that was people started then applying for the upper tier management. Nice. And managerial roles because they felt that they've got the confidence and that was their biggest problem was the confidence. Nice. Very cool. Yeah. Cause I, I think uh, number one, anytime you can speak in front of the public, it sets you up as the, the guru, right? The expert, but then to also give that um, confidence to people that it can be done. You yeah. know, if you set a goal and follow a plan, it can be done. And I think because I don't see it as anything amazing that I've done. I just see it as my job. It's just what I've done. It was what I was paid to do. So I've just done it. And I don't think that it's anything amazing. Well, obviously somebody does, TJ, because you were <laughs> you were um, submitted or nominated for the MBE. I right? wish I knew who. <laughs> well, someday it'll come out. Um, for the listeners, if you don't know about the MBE, um, this is from Wikipedia. The uh, most excellent order of the British Empire is a British order of chivalry rewarding contributions to the arts and sciences, work with charitable and welfare organizations, and public service outside of civil service. It was established in 1917 by King George V and comprises five classes across both civil and military divisions. Now, at the very highest level, you're knighted by the queen, right? Um, but then it comes down to just the general population, you can be nominated by somebody who goes to a committee, they do background check and research on you. And they yeah. found that you were deserving. And I think that that speaks a lot. Yeah. Were you surprised? 
Um, yeah, very much so. I just never, ever dreamt that I would get anything like that. I mean, when I was nominated for the Women in Business Award, you know, the Businesswoman of the Year, I just thought, why me? I'm only doing a job. So then I received the MBE notification by email. So I actually ignored it and thought it was a hoax because <laughs> you wouldn't expect something like that to come from the Cabinet Office via email. So I, I just sat on it for a while. In fact, most of the day. Hmm. <laughs> Took it through to my husband and said, well, what do you think? And he said, no, nah, hoax. And then he looked on the internet, as you do, our friend Google. Yep. And he said that the New Year nomination, there was lots of people that thought that was a hoax. But because of COVID, they were, the, a lot of the Cabinet Office workers were working from home. So they were having to do that. So it was, okay, who do we find out from? So I actually rang the cabinet office themselves. Nice. <laughs> Interrogated them. Yeah. And they did find it quite funny. And they said that they'd had hundreds of phone calls. I bet. The same thing. But it was just congratulations. You know, are you willing to accept it? Because that's the first step is accept. Mm. Um, can you complete, you know, the documentation to say who you are? that you agree with it. And also the first notification goes into the London Gazette. Okay. So they just make sure that everything's correct on that. Nice. Yeah, uh, but it didn't stop there being a hoax. I just thought mm, it could still be and didn't think anything of it. And it wasn't until the Thursday, as the announcement was made on the Saturday, I got a call from a reporter from the press. And he said who he was. Could, this, could I speak? So I said, yes. And then his first words were, so how do you feel about being nominated for an MBE? And my response was, oh, well, it's not a hoax now, because obviously you know. And he thought it was hilarious. And it's quite funny because everything that's gone into the press has said that I thought it was a hoax. That's funny. I would too, though. You know, like you said, you're not expecting something like that, certainly by email. No, absolutely not. Wow. So when, when do you actually go to the award ceremony? They haven't said as yet, because what they want to do is the, the restrictions in the UK aren't lifted fully yet. Okay. So they want to make sure that the restrictions are lifted so that they can nominate a date. But you do go down to the palace. You do meet either the queen, her son, or her grandson. Um, and there's usually a few hundred there at the same time. And there's a procedure that you have to go through. Wow. We can, I can take three guests that can watch the ceremony and then you go into the gardens of the palace. Excellent. Very cool. Well, congratulations. That is, that is awesome. That's a lot of fun. And so your kids, you couldn't even tell your kids about it. No, no, no. And I was frightened of telling anybody because um, I did, they did say that I could um, notify if I had a press agent. Well, I haven't got a press agent, but a very good friend of mine is PR that I always work with. So he was the only person that I could think of that would sort of have an inkling whether it was a hoax or not. So I called him and asked him if he'd nominated me for anything. And of course, he wanted to know why. Yeah. So I told him and he said, no, I haven't done anything. Send it me over. And I said, I can't in case it's got a tracker on it. Yeah. I was just paranoid. So I didn't even send it him. I just sort of read it out to him. And my, me and my husband agreed that we wouldn't tell the girls because Facebook, social media these days, sure. you don't know who's going to be talking to who and just let it slip. So we didn't tell anybody at all. Very funny. 
That is awesome though. Yeah. So by the time this podcast episode airs, hopefully you'll be able to go in and, and receive the award. That's exciting. Yeah. Very cool. Good stuff. So where did you find your courage? You know, you had the courage to step away from the family business and say, no, I want to do this on my own. Where did you find that courage? Where did that come from? I had some amazing support from contacts and I didn't realize how many contacts I'd have, I had got. I was in this business, like say for 30 years. Um, in 2010, my dad was diagnosed with cancer. Mm. So I had to step up pretty quickly. 2012, I was made a director. So effectively, I was running the business. We started to PR the company and bring it up to the 21st century and get it out there. And quite quickly, um, the industry started to take notice of me as a woman in manufacturing, woman in construction, woman in business. And anybody that knew me as a child, I was very, very quiet, didn't speak to anybody, very, very shy. So when they started asking if they could interview me, I said, can you interview him? And I sort of passed it off to anybody, anybody that was willing to do it. And they said, no, that they're interested in you. So they start, I started to do it and it was recorded. So I, that wasn't so bad. Um, but then they started dropping in or calling and saying, we want your opinion on Brexit or the autumn statement. Can we call in? Yeah, when you come in, in about half an hour. And then we'd have all this, the cameras set up in the factory. And to be honest, I just got used to it because what I did is I felt that I pushed myself out of my comfort zone that many times. I just became used to it. Yeah. And I saw it as a job. And on the back of that business awards, the first business awards, I can remember sitting there thinking, please, God, don't let us win this because I can't go up on that stage. Yeah. But then towards the end of being with the family business and I then stopped getting my own recognition and I was getting director of the year, businesswoman of the year. And the last one that we went to, I can remember I was speaking to somebody next to me on the table and my husband sort of nudged me and said, you've won. And I just went, oh, excuse me, and just walked off as if I was just going to go and fetch my lunch or something. <laughs> and it just became okay. You know, I, that's where my courage started. So then the contacts that I'd made because of the television, the radio, the awards, people knew me. And I'm sure it's because TJ, you know, there's not too many TJs about. So when I came out of the business, everybody was curious as to what I was going to be doing. And it was close friends and contacts that I didn't even know that I knew were encouraging me to set up as business glue, obviously not knowing it was business glue, mm -hmm. that sort of position, because they felt that there was businesses out there that did bumble along. There was upper tier management that they'd get analysis of the accounts and things. And in reality, they didn't actually know what they meant. And I could tell them in easy format and plain speech normal words and they said that's pretty unique and pretty special to go into a business to do that for them nice. and because I'd done it hands-on and had the experience they felt that that counted for a lot as well nice. so I was sort of pushed into it again yeah. sort of out my comfort zone again but I owed it to those people that supported me then rather than it was my job and it was for the business it was for those people that had supported me well so it, it wasn't that you had somebody in your life, somebody you worked with or for that demonstrated that type of courage? You just had to find it within yourself? Yeah, pretty much. 
And one lady did say to me, it was, I've met a really, really good friend now who is a lady that I work with, an HR consultant. And she said to me, TJ, you have got to be strong and show your girls just how strong you are because they're watching you more than mm. anyone else. And I think it was that that sort of triggered me and said, yeah, I can do this. Nice. Yeah, we don't know how we're going to impact the people around us, whether they're our kids, um, subordinates that are working for you, peers that are working with you. You don't realize you say something just in passing and years later it comes back. Oh, you said that and that changed my life. Yes, that's, that's awesome. absolutely. I Very had cool. a dear friend. Um, he was actually ex-army. He was equestrian. He knew if there's anything to know about equestrian world, he knew it. He actually rode for the queen. He rode for the cavalry. And I knew in the latter end of his life, unfortunately, we've lost him now. He had a massive influence on me and he gave me loads of courage. Um, And, and, but I was still with the family business then, but he was telling me then that I needed to do this on my own. Nice. I'm glad you listened. That's awesome. Very cool. So if I was to bump into, how many employees did you have working for you at the family business? 150. Wow. Very cool. And right now it's just you and business glue. Right? Yeah, just me. Okay. okay. Um, if I was to bump into any of these people on the road and just ask them, I'm not that I'm over in the UK <laughs> that often, but <laughs> if I was walking down a country lane there and I bumped into somebody and asked them about you, what type of leader would they say you were? Um, I think to encapsulate it into something small, I would say firm but fair. Okay. And I was there for them. I felt it was important to know them personally and about them. I, I knew about them and I knew about their family and their background. And I always had time for them, no matter what time of day it was. And that's so, so important. And It was you know, firm as well. You know, yeah. they couldn't push it too far. Yeah. But that's important, knowing the employees, having that kind of personal yeah. connection with them. I think that's important. And it gets lost so much in big businesses. And yeah. uh, I'm finding it with a lot of the small to mid-sized companies that I work with they don't have that connection, you know, with their employees. No, I hate that where they're a number. I hate that. It grinds me, you know, and if I go into somewhere that they're like that, that's something will be on my priority list to change. Yeah. So is that one of the things you look at too, is a company culture? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I think because a lot of the businesses that I've been into more recently are family business as well. So I understand that. And it it's, the longevity and the sustainability of the business, you can only do that while you've got good people in there. And I'm also a a real big advocate of bringing skills into businesses because we have the family businesses, as you've already said, they sort of work the way up just because they've always worked there. They haven't particularly got management training, but you lose your skills lower end as well. That's very hard to replace. So I've been working for a number, number of years now of trying to get, new skills into business or younger people to learn the skills to keep these businesses going. Yeah. That's the other thing that happens is you get these very experienced tenured employees and they leave and all that knowledge goes with them and they haven't taken the time to really write it down or to teach the people below. And suddenly all that knowledge walks out the door. Yeah, That can be catastrophic. Yep. I had a guy that did, actually retire three times from the family business and would have a retirement party for him. And at the end of the evening, he'd say, I'll be back on Monday. And he did. He was way into his seventies before he actually did retire. 
So when you left the company business, did you turn the reins over to someone else? Did you guys sell the business? What happened? No, my dad gave it to somebody else. Um, and I just thought this is time for me to go. I felt it was putting me in my box, putting me back where they thought I should be. So it was a little bit about, okay, I'll go and create my own success then. You haven't recognized it here. I'll go and make my own. And that's one thing that my husband did say. When I did leave, obviously it wasn't nice leaving the family business after all the time that I'd been there and the, the contacts and the family that I'd made within the business as well. Yeah. And my husband did say to me, you know, the best thing that you can do is create your own success. And you have. So far. <laughs> That's awesome. Very cool. So, uh, what if, if you were to say, hey, to be a good, effective leader, you should have this skill. What kind of skill would you look for in effective leaders? I think you've got to understand your people. You know, I'll go back to what people would say about me. I think it's the firm but fair. You've got to be consistent with what you're communicating to them. Communication is key. You know, the amount yeah. of people that I get saying that they're not accountable do you communicate that? Do you get feedback from them? Do you allow them to have a voice? You know, that's a big thing as well. You know, the, the, the man on the shop floor that's been doing it for years, is he just doing it that way because it's the way that they've always done it? Have you listened to what he's saying? Is there a better way of doing it? You know, I like to include everybody within the business. I think everybody's got, a, and, and it's understanding people's beliefs and values as well. Everybody's got different beliefs and values. You know, it doesn't mean that they're right or they're wrong. That belongs to them. But you've True. got to understand it. Yeah. But that's what kind of makes up the company culture too. Those yeah. long-held, you know, beliefs and, and the work ethic and everything that's, you know, part of the company. And not tapping into that, not turning to your employees and saying, hey, how can we improve this process? And turn it over to them. Let them come yeah. up with something yeah. to do. But it's always about relationships as well, isn't it? It's, you know, if you haven't got relationship within the business, how can you have relationships with your suppliers, with your customers, you know, everything else that goes with it? If you, you haven't got it at the core, you can't expand on that. Yeah. So I will always go into businesses and while ever they'll want growth and they want improvements and things, I'll say we need the core right first before you give it out to anybody else. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah, with my clients, we always start off with the core values of the business, right? Because you base your decisions on your core values and same thing in business, whatever the core values are that drives your decision-making. If you don't teach those to your employees, you have no idea what they're using to make their yeah. decisions, right? They, they yeah. can be headed off in a lot of different directions. So yeah, it's a good place to See, start. My thing you know, within the family business was I wanted to put, we agreed the values together because I think that's an important thing as well. You know, it's not just you, not just the top tier management. It should be the company values. And I wanted them stenciled along the building. Yeah. I, I was laughed out of the building at that. You know, they, mm. they didn't understand that. They they weren't there with that. So that didn't happen. But that, you know, I thought that was a great thing to do. Sure. Yeah, I know companies that actually have their core values at the bottom of their invoices and everything like yeah. that to let their customers and their suppliers and everybody know this is yeah. who we are and what we do. Well, you should be proud of them, shouldn't you? Sure. You'd think. <laughs> You'd think, yeah. You would think, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, so looking back at your career, would you do things differently? Would you follow the same path? Would you do things sooner? 
Um, I would definitely have left the family business sooner. Yeah. Caused me a great deal of stress. Um, it took me away from my family because I put everything into the family business. Um, and that is one regret that I've got, that my kids really suffered for that. Mum um, wasn't there. And then because um, my dad's illness, it was my priorities not just became the business, it became my dad and caring for him as well. So they just got pushed further and further down the ladder. Yeah. So that is one thing that I would have done differently. And I would have taken maternity leave because I didn't. Hmm. Had my youngest, I was still at work on the Friday evening. My dad tapped me on the shoulder and said, we really could do with you having this baby over the weekend so it doesn't hinder things. (laughs) And I did. And I had her on the Saturday and I was back there on the Monday morning in a car seat to do the payroll. And she stayed with me constantly. When she started moving around, I had a playpen in the office. And you know, I shouldn't, I should have had the time with my kid and yeah. just no separation. They didn't understand anything any different either. They was brought up the same way as I was, that the business was the most important thing. And in reality, it's not. Yeah. But you're showing them now what hard work can do, right? You're yeah. showing them now that there is things they can do other than working for somebody else. Mm. So I think you're setting a good example. I'd like to think so. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so what's next? I mean, the oh, wow. family business for 30 years, your new business, business glue, yeah. mm-hmm. the MBE, what's next? Well, I've just recently qualified as a mediator as well. Oh, excellent. So I'd like to bring in a little bit more of that. It does complement what I do. Mm-hmm. And sort of the HR consultant, that's, you know, she's bringing it into her services. I've got lawyers that are bringing it into, you know, putting me as their mediator. So I've got that to explore, which I'm quite excited about. I don't know. One day I'd quite like my own little business again, maybe, you know, to run and just to oversee, but not in it the way that I was in it. I don't know. There's been a few ideas that we've sort of played around with at home, you know, things that we can do from home. We've got outbuildings that we could convert into different things. I don't know. There's a lot. Particularly in the last two years, there's been a lot been floating around in my head. I've got quite a lot of things that I'd like to do and see going forward. Good. Yeah, absolutely. Um, tell me about the horses. You've had horses since you were nine. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, did you ride professionally or, or in competition? No. Um, my parents split up. Um, we had a little bit of land at the back of the house that somebody used to keep their pony on. She left, and my dad just said one day, do you want a pony? Well, not nine-year-old nine says no. So yeah. I just, yeah, never ridden in my life. Um, had to learn quite quickly because she was a little bit distraught. Um, and I had her for a few years, and I outgrew her, so I got a bit bigger one. And I had him until my daughter was about six, and we lost him. Um, old age. And I said that I wouldn't have horses while I had the children. And the only way that I would have horses again, if we could keep them at home again, because it's too big a job going to live with yachts and things and having children, it took them away from home. So about six, seven years ago, we started looking for somewhere else to live. And it was a house that had had the permission to demolish the house that was on it and rebuild. 
and it had a small amount of land and it was my husband that said maybe you could go back to having the horses again because by this time the girls had started riding as well nice. so that planted a seed really that fell through and we started looking more into the countryside of where that was and we came across this place where we are now which is actually an ex-riding school nice so it was a, a doer-upper very much so and um, so we didn't plan to do it quite as quickly. I started looking for a horse because we'd got 12 stables by then and three acres of land. Um, and I got introduced to, on Facebook of all places, it's a lady that rehomes racehorses. Nice. So I went to go and see one um, and I came away with two. Wow. <laughs> so I ended up with two four-year-old thoroughbreds that had finished their career in racing mm-hmm and needed retraining to be whatever they were to do next. Nice. Very cool. And so your daughters love riding too? Yeah. Um, the youngest one, she's gone off it. The oldest one, yeah, she still, she comes and still does it. Unfortunately, I did have a bad accident um, six months in from having them. Mm. Um, I came off and unfortunately I broke my pelvis real bad. Ouch. Um, and I also went misdiagnosed, they said that I've got one break and it turned into four. Wow. But that's quite a misdiagnosis. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> pretty much. Wow. Yeah. But, you know, while everybody says they're crazy, you shouldn't be doing that, I could have done that walking, you know, falling yeah. down the stairs, having a car right. accident. It's life, isn't it? But yeah. now they're just, yeah, they just plod around and we get on them when we want to get on with them. If we don't, we don't. And they, we've got the sheep for company for them and all the animals just all play together now. Nice. Very cool. Um, if you could give advice to a new entrepreneur, uh, a woman entrepreneur, let's say, yeah. what would that advice be? If it's a woman, don't play the woman card. Nice. Um, when the tough gets going, keep going at it because you'll come out the other side. If you want it bad enough, it will happen. Absolutely. Absolutely. So if people want to get in touch with you and learn more about Business Glue, how can mm-hmm. they do that? What's your website? www.businessglue.co.uk. Okay. Glue, G-L-U. That's right. Without the E. Without the E. Excellent. And uh, can they find you on LinkedIn? Yes. Um, I am under Tracy Jane Duncan Moyer. So that's Duncan hyphen Moyer, M-O-I-R. Okay. Very cool. And any books in the works or anything like that? Any? I have been asked. Yeah. I have just been placed in a book. It was an old mentor of mine that approached me last year, said he was writing his second book, and would I be a little bit of a critique? Nice. So I did give um, a bit of a review of the book, and he's included in on, me in on it, and that is actually out to be published soon. Nice. What's the title of that book? Oh, wow. I should know this. It is Engaging Employees in Changing Times. Excellent. I like the title. Good job. Yeah, it's a good book. All right. And one that I recommend to my clients as well. Nice. Because it gives the understanding. Everything that I learned, he, he taught me, you know, the understanding, the beliefs, the values, and how people work, you know, the change management. It's got everything in there. It's great. You're speaking my language. My background is organizational change management. So absolutely. There you go. Very good. Well, I will put links to all of this in the show notes. 
for the podcast so people will be able to find you. Uh, do you have any special, uh, like any more speaking engagements coming up? I know you guys are still kind of in lockdown, but are, are you? Yeah, I'm through? still in lockdown at the moment. So no, but um, I have been speaking to a few strategic partners that they want to for us to partner up as a little bit of a group of something going forward. And we are going to plan for a launch so that we can actually have an event for people to come and understand what we do and what our services will be. Nice. Again, we've just got to wait until COVID tells us what we can do next, really. Yeah. But, ah, COVID. <laughs> yeah. I'm tired of it. I'm ready for it to be gone. Yeah, yeah. We're all a bit tired, aren't we? Absolutely. Well, TJ, thank you so much for being on the podcast. Thanks for sharing your story with us. Um, like I said, I'll have all this information in the show notes so people can reach out and uh, contact you. All right. Thank you for inviting me. No, absolutely. It was fun. Uh, listeners, hope you guys enjoy this. Hope you were taking notes because there's a lot of takeaways from this. Um, if you did not take notes, shame on you. Listen to the podcast again and this time take notes and uh, share it with your family, friends and colleagues. Right. And stick around because there's always more coming. That's it for me. Coach Harlan saying so long for now. 